It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, Chris Mannix. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. What's going on, Chris? Happy Monday. What's happening, guys? Hey, uh, we're we're doing great. Um, Gordon just blindsided me with a deep question <laughs> uh, mere seconds before we brought you on, so I'm going to do the same to you, all right? Sure. Uh, what are the three biggest stories in the NBA thus far? Oh, three biggest stories in the NBA. Um, I guess in no particular order you can – in a, in a broader sense, like big picture, probably the way the Knicks are playing right now. I mean, I don't think anybody expected that. Uh, the Jazz sitting at the top of the Western Conference standings, I don't think anybody expected that. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know what the third necessarily would be. Um yeah, I don't know. I mean, oh. Lakers are doing Lakers things. Clippers are doing Clippers things. I guess you could say Portland and how they've played in the absence of some of their guys who are down with injuries, but those things jump off. The The third one I went with was the Nets coming together. Oh, yeah, I guess that, yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, the, the, a new super team being formed, I guess, even though we really haven't seen it more than a couple of games because of injuries and illnesses and things like that. But, yeah, I mean, that that's that's right up there. So, Chris, the Jazz had, uh, had won uh, 20 of 21 games, and then they drop one to the full-strength Clippers, and Mike Conley was still sort of getting his feet wet after being injured. What, what is, what are we, how are we to take one loss in the middle of the NBA season? Does it mean anything at all? Is it just, a, oh, well, there it is. There's a loss, but it doesn't really foretell anything. How do you look at it? Well, I think you have to look at it at a game-by-game basis, and I don't think that loss to the Clippers should be overreacted to. Um, I thought the Jazz, you know, watching, I thought they played well. Um, The Clippers were just better on that night, and that's a good team. You're not going to beat them every single time. I mean, they wound up winning two days before, you know, convincingly. So, you know, a split out in L.A. is is not bad. But I think as you kind of watch this team going forward – you want to watch these key games against top teams. They've, you know, not to say that they wouldn't, you know, wouldn't be doing this if the schedule was tougher, but they have had some, you know, some some easiness with some of the stretch of the schedule. Whether it's you know Atlanta, Detroit. I mean, it's like every team does. But you know, as as you continue to move forward, you know, when you go to Philadelphia, uh, you know, I know the Lakers are on the schedule at some point in the next uh, couple of days. Um, you know, those are the games you want to see them compete against. And, and they've had success, of course. I mean, like I said, being the Clippers in L.A., beating the Sixers, um, you know, last week. Uh, they've, they've done some good things. But uh, those are the games you kind of target to see as, as more like barometers, litmus tests, whatever you want to call them, um, where you kind of size yourself up against the teams you're you know, likely to face in the second and third round of the playoffs. Gordon Hayward's in town with the Hornets uh, to take on the Jazz tonight, and you're based there in Boston, and uh, we we brought up the Jazz fans' relationship with Gordon as it is now, but how do Celtics fans feel about Gordon Hayward? Oh, they they feel fine about him. I mean, he 
got a chance to make a whole boatload of money somewhere else, and you know that was that. I'm sure there's general disappointment that the Hayward signing didn't lead to the type of success, both individual or team-wise, that they expected, but there's a reason for that, and it happened five minutes into his first game with the Celtics. So I, I don't think there's any ill will towards Gordon Hayward in Boston. In fact, I mean, it, it might just be the opposite. It's, you know, I think Celtics fans would love to have him back at this point. I mean, he has been excellent for, for Charlotte uh, all season long. And part of that, I think, is continued, you know, uh, progression away from that injury. And I think part of it is just a different role. I, I don't I don't think Gordon wanted to be back in Boston for, for multiple reasons, but one of them was I think the role with that team was not to his liking. I mean, he would have been behind Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Kemba Walker to a degree uh, in the pecking order. He would have been more of a facilitator with that team. With this Hornets team, he's back to being kind of the scorer, and, and he's produced. He's above 20 points, shooting 40-plus percent three. I mean, he's, he's not an all-star this year, um, but I think he's, you know, on, he's in the, the discussion at least as if they had you know, 20-man all-star rosters. Circling back on that, Chris, is, is that just because of his role? Is that just because of uh, opportunity or lack thereof? What, what's the difference? Well, I, I do think role has a lot to do with it. Um, you know, he's playing with a pass-first point guard in LaMelo Ball, so there's a lot of shots available to him. Um, he's not being asked to be the primary playmaker, which he was at times in Boston. Uh, but I do think part of it is a change of scenery did him well. Um, you know, I, I, look, none of us have gone through the type of catastrophic event that Gordon Hayward went through in his first game in Boston. And, and that really set the tone and, you know, was reflected on the rest of his time there, whether it was coming back from the injury and how players in that Celtics locker room grumbled about him being kind of force fed minutes or, you know, playing well at the start of his third year and then having the hand injury, you know, set him back. I mean, it was just, it was a bad experience for him. Not, not that he disliked the city and he certainly liked playing for Brad Stevens, but uh, you know, it, it just wasn't a great experience for him. So I think in addition to his role evolving, just getting away from that Celtics experience has probably been pretty good for him. This Hornets team has never been a contender. Um, well, really, even going back to the Bobcats, but I was going to say with Michael Jordan as the owner, what's, what's the issue with this franchise? Why haven't they been able to put together better teams? Well, they haven't drafted particularly well um, over the, the lifetime, lifespan of this, at least this century anyway. Um, and they, when they had a star in Kemba Walker, they really weren't able to, to build around him, you know, with the right guys. And some of that's on the front office over the years. Uh, you know, they've been a little bit on the cheap side, you know, in recent years, if we're being honest. And uh, that's cost them a little bit. But I think right now this is the best position Charlotte's been in in decades, really. I mean, they have – a, a bona fide superstar in the making in LaMelo Ball. Like, I really believe that. I mean, he is he's something to watch. Um, he, is a, he has one of those, those pure passing instincts that you, you rarely see in players when they come into the league. And, and if you look at the way he's progressed already, I mean, his shooting percentage, his three-point percentage is better than I thought it was going to be. His overall shooting percentage is solid. Um, he's rebounding the ball extremely well, which has ignited that fast break. Uh, and you look at that backcourt. I mean, Lamelo and Terry Rozier, they're really good. I mean, Terry Rozier, you know, people scoffed at that Terry Rozier contract a year and a half ago. The guy's averaging 21 points and shooting 46% from three. And I think he's attempting like eight threes a game. So, like, they, that, they, they have the foundation there to, you know, for the first time in a long time. And if they 
make the right moves in the next couple of years and beef up that front court, which is their their clear weakness, uh, you know, they're going to be more than just a playoff team. They they're probably a piece away from being a team that can, at the very least, win a first round series. And you know, after that, if you keep developing Lamelo and see where he goes, uh, you can do a lot of things. They've both uh, gotten paid, Chris, and uh, maybe they don't care about this question amongst themselves anymore. But if I were to ask you this question, how would you answer it? Who is more important to the Utah Jazz, Rudy Gobert or Donovan Mitchell? How would you answer that? It's tough. Um, It's, you know, you can make an argument both ways because Donovan, you need him to take over games late. And that's, oftentimes, that's what it comes down to. You know, fourth quarter, closing seconds, closing minutes, when guys start trading buckets, if you don't have that guy, you can't win this league. All that being said, you know, we were having a discussion, Howard Beck and I, about MVP, and I think Gobert has been like a top five MVP guy this year. I mean, he's been he's been unbelievable. Not just, you know, the usual defensive stuff, but – I mean, screen setting, uh, you know, creating space for, for his guys to operate with those big screens, rolling off them, just the little things that often don't show up on a statue. Every time I'm watching Jazz games, like he's doing something that's impactful on the offensive end, and it's not something I'm, I'm used to seeing from Gobert, at least not consistently. Defensively, I've said this, I've tweeted it, like you can give him Defensive Player of the Year award every single year because he's the only guy in the league where – you have to be aware of where he is every single moment of every single offensive possession. And because of his, his athleticism, or at least the, you know, capable athleticism, he can step out of those pick and rolls and defend perimeter shooters. And he's helped the jazz shoot, uh, defend guys or shoot the three, uh, defend the three point line really well. I, I, like it, it's, it's a coin flip and, and they both do different things for that team, which is great for the jazz. But this is, might be the year where you give Rudy a bit of the edge because because he's doing a little bit of everything out there and it's it's really powered this jazz start. On that Jake, kind of, do you, Jake, Jake, do you agree with that? Because I think a lot of people are coming around to what you're saying, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. I in fact, my my question to Chris was going to be, you know, Rudy has added something to his game seemingly each and every year. I mean, whether it's becoming a better pick and roll defender or whether it's making more free throws. Um, yep. Or this year he's kind of added the the eyes-out pass coming down uh, on the pick-and-roll where he finds people in the corner. If you were giving Rudy advice on something to add to his game next, what would it be? You know, I, I think we're at the point with Rudy where it's like, you know, don't add, just perfect, basically. Mm. I mean, there are little things, of course. The You know, whether it is that, that passing from the top of the key and being an even better facilitator or – I don't. I mean, very little things. But right now, what he's doing is is excellent and it's impactful uh, and it's it's changing the game on both ends of the floor. And there are only a handful of guys in this league that can do that. I mean, Giannis is one. LeBron is another. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, Luke is a great offensive player, but he's still a work in progress defensively. I mean, everyone's kind of talking about Damian Lillard right now, but the 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 Trailblazers, I think, are like 29th in defense. I mean, you know, every single possession that he's on the floor, offense and defense, Rudy is impacting it. So I'm not sure that I'd I'm, – look, you ask Quinn Snyder, I'm sure there are plenty of things he'd, he'd throw out there. But I'm not sure if I was, you know, looking at Rudy, I wouldn't would say like, hey, man, you know, step out and shoot the three more. Like, I don't know if you want him doing that. Like, that, you know, he's one of those guys where what he is 
doesn't need to have a three-point shot layered onto it. He's he's just too good with everything he does inside the three-point line to be at all concerned with developing something beyond it. The other night, uh, uh, Chris, uh, Terry Rozier hit uh, – well, he went, he went kind of crazy against the Warriors, and then he hit the game winner at the end to uh, seal the deal – are you a proponent, when a guy gets hot like that, are you a proponent of feeding him the ball again and again and again until it, until it gets stopped? Or do you think that that's overall a negative because the rest of the guys end up standing around watching? I mean, you guys see it. Like, does, when Jordan Clarkson gets rolling, does he pass? Like, I mean, it's just <laughs> like, he's, I mean, like, you know, if a guy gets rolling, you, you ride the hot hand. I know there, there's plenty of, you know, TV scientists out there that will deny the hot hand theory, but you know the eyeball test says when a guy gets rolling, you let him roll. I mean, the team they were playing, Golden State, they do that. Like whenever Steph gets rolling, he's allowed to shoot from you know 35 feet away. Damian Lillard, same thing, 35 feet away. So if a guy gets has his shot going like that, uh, you know you you want to play it out. I mean, look, and Terry's that kind of guy. Terry can be he's much more consistent this year and, and even some of last year. But he can be a very streaky player. And, you know, if he gets on one of those hot streaks, you want to ride it as, as long as possible. I mean, the Chaz do have, have one of those clear guys in Clarkson where, you know, if he gets going, don't expect, I was going to say more than one pass, don't expect any passes in the half court because that ball is probably going up. So, Chris, uh, the other day Danny Ainge came out and said that uh, this Celtics team does not have enough talent to be a contender, and then uh, they blow a, a big lead the other day to, uh, what, New Orleans. And uh, I read some blogs today with fans uh, grumpy and, and advocating moving on from Danny Ainge and Brad Stevens. Is that really a thing, or is this just grumpy fans? No, that's that's just grumpy fans, and that's Boston for you where, you know, I, I, that's just it's, – it's an insane idea. Like, I, I – I, I would have, you know, I, did, I quibble with Danny Ainge on some things, whether it's, you know, not going out and, you know, making the trade that would have brought them Miles Turner in, back in exchange for Gordon Hayward. They didn't like Turner all that much. Uh, I think they've clung to their draft picks a little bit too long over the years and not reaped the rewards of them. Some of the guys they've drafted, you know, are bad. Uh, so, like, that that's something. But he's still, you know, the guy that made the Kevin Garnett trade in the early 2000s, made the Nets trade within the last five, six years that – brought Tatum and Brown as the fold, like the idea that anything that's happening right now, while, by the way, Marcus Smart is out and a couple other guys are out, uh, is, is ludicrous. What, and Brad Stevens, the same thing. I mean, the guy is, has steered the Celtics to three conference finals in the last four years. You know, we're not, we're not talking about basketball's Marty Schottenheimer here. He's had a short period of time to, to, to put this team together, and, and never once, except for maybe that, uh, what was it, two years ago when, when they flamed out in the second round, never once has he you know, fallen below team expectations. This, this is a team missing something, though. It, it absolutely is. They, they lost Hayward, and they got nothing back in return. They're playing Peyton Pritchard, a rookie, in that place. They're you know, hoping that somebody from the mix of like Shemi Ojale and, uh, and a handful of others can, can fill that role, and they can't. Like Gordon's a really good player, and, and they replaced him with nothing. So – you know, they counted on the development of Brown and Tatum, and they've gotten that, especially for Brown. Kemba's been hurt for, for much of this time and trying to work his way back. This is, this is a team that badly needs to either make a trade, and they've got that whopper of a trade exception, $20.5 million, the biggest trade exception in league history that they can use, plus their whole cache of first-round picks uh, to, to choose from. So 
not only do they need to make a trade, they better make a trade or else this season is not going to end well for them. Chris, I mentioned uh, a minute ago Terry Rozier hitting that game winner for the Hornets against the Warriors. But what I didn't mention was Draymond Green getting himself ejected from that game. I'm curious to know, what do you make of Draymond Green? And what, I mean, he's an emotional player. He's, he's, he's really contributed in some big ways through the years. But, man, you just can't do that. What do you, what do you think of him? No, I mean, look, it was a bad look for Draymond, and I was watching his media availability today, and he kind of owned up to it, which is good. Um, you know, it, 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 hap- like it happens. Sometimes it happens in the worst possible moments, like we saw in the finals a few years ago when he got suspended for that one game, which you know, allowed Cleveland to get back into it and eventually let them win the series. That said, the, the positives far outweigh the negatives with Draymond, both in the way he plays on the court and how his passion is infectious within his team. I mean, that team really does feed off the energy provided by Draymond Green. So when you combine those two things, you you, you prefer those moments that he had against Charlotte and the one he had against uh, Cleveland in the finals to be you know fewer and, and further between. Uh, it, it still doesn't matter. What would he even at this stage of his career? What he's bringing to the table is just it's it just so much more valuable than than what he's taken away from it. Thank you, Chris. As always, have a great week. You got it, guys. There's our friend Chris Mannix from Sports Illustrated, and of course, he and another one of our daily assist guests, Gordon. Uh, he and Howard back to a podcast together. And uh, they're both terrific, so would uh, certainly encourage you to uh, seek that out. How about uh, Chris saying he considers Rudy Gobert a MVP candidate? Yeah, I, I took note of that. And and Chris hasn't always been – I'm not saying he's been late to the table with his praise of the Jazz. Uh, he's, he's, he's been uh, positive about them for quite some time now. But I, I don't think I've ever heard him talk about Rudy Gobert that way. Have you? No, not quite like that. Certainly not putting him in the MVP conversation. But, I, I mean, he, he certainly showed a deep appreciation for what, what Rudy does and, and illustrated that quite eloquently. I mean, there's, I mean, there's a, a national uh, pundit who's doing his job. He's watching the jazz. I mean, he, yeah. he, he, if you wonder if Chris Mannix watches jazz basketball, just go back and listen to that breakdown of why Rudy is valuable. I mean, he hit it right on the head. So, you know, I wish maybe some more of these national guys would would kind of – seek that appreciation of our boy Rudy, but uh, I think Chris laid it out pretty well right there. He said something else there that I think was significant. He said, you can give Rudy Gobert the Defensive Player of the Year award every year. Yep. (laughs) Well, he didn't get it last year. Uh, But there is an acknowledgement that uh, of all the things that Rudy Gobert does defensively that don't get noticed by the casual uh, observer, he he changes everything. He changes the game plan against the Jazz. He uh, he, we we've talked about it a thousand times. How many shots are not taken because Rudy's there? He can't block a shot that hasn't been attempted, right? Oh, so many uh, so many players dribble into the lane and turn right around. He, I asked him if what what Rudy should add to his game, and and I was a little bit surprised that Chris said really nothing that he just needs to perfect. And yeah, I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. Although I would I would add that he still needs to figure out how to finish with somebody between he and the basket. We see a glimpse of it. We talked about it after the first Clipper game where he was really making a point to be aggressive, but that 
kind of disappeared a little bit on Friday. So, I mean, I yeah. think that's still an area that needs needs focus. But I thought that was an interesting answer from Chris. He's like, not really anything. Just perfect what he's doing. Well, if we're looking at little hints during the regular season as to what might be important in the postseason, uh, it's Rudy Gobert playing like Rudy Gobert every single night. And, and that means taking advantage of uh, matchups that are in his favor, which he did not do that night. And I think he's uh, more than willing to admit it. All right, we'll have more Big Show coming up. Straight ahead, stay tuned, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.